Amen. What's up, City Light Church? How are you guys doing? Wow, this music stand, must, Eric must have used this one. So let me pull that up and get to my scripture passage. My name is Doug, and I get the joyful privilege of getting to follow Jesus with you guys. It is an absolute joy, man. It was a joy this weekend getting to watch parents dig into their Bibles and learn how to teach their children to follow Jesus. It was a joy just seeing new people coming to our church and saying, hey, I want to sign up and help. Can I serve? Just new people in the last week jumping in to volunteer in City Light Kids. Um, And while I'm thinking of City Light Kids, the City Light Kids director, she instructed me. She said, Doug, let everybody know that if a number comes up on the screen, that's for the parents to go get that child, right? It's like reverse bingo, you know? A number pops up on the screen, you're like, oh, it's not me, yay, you know, that sort of thing. Well, if it is you, your kid has a bloody nose, and you better go take care of it, okay? Not really a bloody nose, just kidding there too. Anyways, I'm trying to celebrate some stuff here. I'm also excited about what God is doing among our students. This past Wednesday, they learned how to spend time with Jesus. There were 40 students here, um, and they were all spending time with their Bibles open and praying. That's amazing. City Light, we're kind of a motley crew, right? And none of us are famous, but all of us are real people being changed day by day to be more like Jesus, and that is a joy. It's incredible. Well, I'd like to start this morning with a question for you guys, and I think the answer is going to be interesting. Um, How many of you guys have noticed that we actually don't start our Sunday gatherings on time, right? Like, go ahead. Oh, man, 11 a.m. Okay, you guys are the people sleeping in, but you notice more than the 9 a.m., right? So we actually start that five-minute countdown timer at 11 a.m., right? So we start every single Sunday gathering five minutes late. And so all of you who notice that, you're probably similar to me in that you just like to be on time. I'm an on-time sort of guy. I grew up in a family where being on time meant that you better be there 10 minutes early, right? Man, we were that family where on Sunday mornings, dad was out in the car honking the horn saying, come on, get your act together. Why aren't you out here? We got to get to church and love people and sing to Jesus. That was my family. And I must confess, I picked up some of my dad's traits. In fact, early on in my relationship dating Whitney, who's now my wife, I nearly ruined our relationship. So it was one of our early dates and I told her I would come by and pick her up around 6 p.m. And then like any decent, responsible, grown man, I showed up about 5.50 p.m., right? Well, Whitney wasn't ready at the time. She was inside doing her hair, fixing her makeup, doing whatever you ladies do whenever you get ready, okay? We, us men are never going to understand it, just so you know. She's doing that sort of stuff. And so I had to, and this is where it hurts so bad, I had to wait, right? I had to wait. I went out to the car and waited in the car for like 20 minutes. And this was before iPhones and Instagram and other life-saving devices like that, okay? I had to wait. I'm an on-time sort of guy, and I kind of get a little bit perturbed when people are running late. Now, Whitney, she came out. She was looking great, but I was grumpy, right? Conversation was awkward. We didn't have much fun, and I nearly sabotaged our relationship. It wasn't a good night. So I'm still dealing with that. You can pray for me. Don't judge me, okay? I'm trying to repent, but I'm an on-time sort of guy. Well, this morning, we're looking at a story from the life of David in the Bible where David was the guy 
sitting in the car waiting for God to show up. It looked like God's plans were right on time 10 minutes early, but actually they came 20 minutes late, or so it seems. And we're going to ask the question, what do we do when God's plans don't exactly play out in our time? And I think this matters for us, right? Because we all have big plans for our lives, whether that's where we're going to eat lunch this afternoon or how long our nap is going to be or what we want to be when we grow up. We have big plans for our lives. And on top of that, America's favorite Bible verse is Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. We all have big plans for our lives. I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to be somebody, and God's even got plans for my life. Well, here's what we're going to see with David. God's plans are in God's time. God's plans are in God's time. If you've got a pen and paper, write that down. Or if you're living in 2017 and you've got a phone, you can type it in there, okay? God's plans are in God's time. That's the punchline. If you forget everything else, remember that. And now that I've given you the punchline, let's open our Bibles and look at the story. 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'll set the stage a little bit. In the last few weeks in our series on the life of David, we've seen that God's plan for David is that David will be king of Israel, right? He will be the king. And then it looks like God's plan is playing out. Because David kills Goliath. David wins a bunch of battles and fights, and he's awesome, right? And David's good at the guitar. David is that guy. If you were a nerd in college, David is that guy that you were jealous of. Because everybody loves David and his biceps, okay? And then David's, like, his approval ratings are soaring, and it looks like, surely, he's going to be king any moment. It's coming any moment. But at the moment, Saul is still the king. Saul is the current king, and he is a royally messed up king who has tried to kill David multiple times. And so for God's plans for David to become reality, something has to happen to Saul. Some way, somehow, someone has to deal with Saul. So right now, Saul's chasing after David, trying to kill him. So for eight chapters at the end of 1 Samuel, David is on the run, right? He's hiding out in caves, hiding in these tiny villages. He's borrowing food from churches. He is homeless and he is helpless. And in the middle of those eight chapters, a bunch of misfits and mess-ups decide they want to be on David's team. Okay, so Saul's got the whole army of Israel and then all the socially awkward people who can't keep jobs at Burger King. They're like, David, we'll be on your team. Okay, so David's on the run and he's got all these misfits and mess ups in his army. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like God's plan to me. But that's what's going on. So David and his dudes are hiding out in a cave. Saul hears where they are and then we'll pick it up in verse two. It says, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats rocks. So Saul has 3,000 of his best men. This would be like his version of the Navy SEALs. And they're closing in, they're pressing in on David in this region that has lots of caves. This area where there are caves over and they're closing in. Now let's pick it back up. Verse 3. And he, this is Saul, came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Don't you just love the honesty of the Bible? 
Isn't that fun? Like so many times we think the Bible is this theological textbook with big words and good morals for how you should be nicer the next time someone cuts you off in traffic. But in 1 Samuel 24, 3, we just read that Saul has to take a leak, okay? <laughs> That's what's going on here. Or it, we don't know. Maybe it's number one. Maybe it's number two, okay? Later on, we'll figure out. But for right now, we don't know. But what we do know is Saul's a man. So he's not stopping at a gas station. No, he's going to find a tree or, in his case, a cave where he's going to go in and relieve himself. So literally, this is what's going on. you got 3,000 Navy SEALs suited up with their assault rifles outside. And then in the cave, you got David and his 600 dudes. And Saul goes, mm, time out, boys. I got to go. Okay. And then he goes in and he does his thing. The story continues in verse three. It says, now David and his men were sitting where? In the innermost parts of the cave, the same cave. So out of all the dozens of caves that Saul could have chosen, he chooses the one that David and his men already are in. So here's how it goes, okay? David goes, or Saul goes into the cave. He sets his robe down a few feet away to avoid the splash factor, right? And then he comes over here a little bit and he relieves himself. He does his business. Now, the story gives us some context clues that Saul's there for a little while, okay? Maybe he's checking his NFL scores. Maybe he's reading the newspaper. Not for sure, but he's there for a little while. His robe is over here. David and his 600 men are close by. Saul has no idea. Now, let me put the question to you. What would you do if you were David in this situation? What would you do, right? Now listen, God's already promised that you're gonna be king. God's plans are you, not this guy. This guy has already tried to kill you multiple times. This guy is trying to get rid of you and God has said, no, you're gonna be the king, David. God's plans are for you. So what would you do? Well, David's men, they all chime in and give David some advice. David's men are saying, David, this is your time. Like, seize the day. Strike while the iron is hot. Go get him. He's in a vulnerable position right now, and you can take him out. Kill him, David, or if you won't, then let us kill him. Seize the day. And isn't this the wisdom of our age as well today? I mean, just open up your Facebook app and check your feed, and it will tell you that life is all about you. Right? You got to grab life by the horns. This is your time to shine, your moment to make. Make it all about you. And sometimes we'll even Christianize that. And we'll say, well, this is God's plan for my life, and it feels so good, then surely it must be God's time for it as well. Since it's God's plan, surely it must be God's time. But what does David do in this situation? David does something that is nothing short of miraculous. Look at the end of verse four. It says, then David arose. And that Hebrew word for arose means he made a decision. He set his heart on something and he's gonna take some action. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So he doesn't strike at Saul, but instead he goes to the robe and cuts off a corner of that. He doesn't kill Saul, but instead he gathers evidence that he could have killed Saul. And then he lets Saul finish his business, stand back up, grab his robe, and go back out to the 3,000 Navy SEALs to resume the manhunt. He lets him go free. Now, 
David had the perfect opportunity to take God's plan and bring it into his time. Have you ever faced a temptation like that? Maybe you're a single Christian and you know that you want to marry a follower of Christ, a Christian, but you're tempted to date some non-Christians just to speed the process up, widen the playing field a little bit. Or maybe you're dating someone right now and you know God's clear in his Bible that sexual intimacy is meant for after marriage, within marriage, but it just feels so good now, so why wait? Or maybe you've been praying for years and asking God for that job, that baby, that friend, someone who can understand you. You just want some measure of success or pleasure or power. And you think, man, it's a good thing that I'm wanting. It's rightfully mine. It just hasn't gotten to me yet. And so you feel a little bit like me sitting in the car waiting for my girlfriend to get her makeup done and come on out. God, why aren't you on time? God, why are you running late? God, if this is your plan, then why isn't now the time? David faced all of those questions. David wrestled with all of those temptations, and yet in the moment when he could have seized the day and made it his time, David was able to step back. He was able to refrain, to trust that it's God's plan and it's in God's time. Now, my question for David is, how? How did you do that? Because I still get angry if I'm running a few minutes late, yet he's able to look at this king who wants to kill him, and he could have easily eliminated him, but he's patient enough to trust God and step back and let that be. How is that possible, David? I think the answer to that question is found in Psalm 57. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 57. And have you ever watched the director's commentary, like on your favorite movie? You know those special edition DVDs, they come and you can watch the movie, then you flip the switch and you can watch the movie while the uh, uh, directors are talking you through it. They're like, hey, this is why this scene is in the story. This is how it connects to the larger plot. This is why the character does that surprising thing. Well, Psalm 57 is the director's commentary to 1 Samuel 24. It's the the behind-the-scenes look at what was going on in David's heart. Psalm 57, if you look at the top, it was written in the cave, okay? So this is David's prayer journal that morning. And look at verse 1. I think in Psalm 57, we're going to see what empowered David to trust God's plan and God's time. Look at verse 1. It says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes what? refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take what? Refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Now in Psalm 57, David is honest with God. He's saying, God, this feels more like storms and destruction than that wonderful plan that you have for my life. Psalm 57 has plenty of complaints, some requests for change. Oh, God, would you please change this? David is praying. He's saying, God, I know you have plans for my life. I know that you've called me to lead this or do that or get this, but God, right now, it doesn't seem like your plans are actually happening. Right now, my life has a bunch of storms, not a bunch of success. There's storms all around, but oh God, in the middle of the storms, you're my safe place. In the middle of the storms, you're my shelter. Oh God, you are my refuge. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Oh God, would you please change things? Would you please change the circumstances? But even if you don't, you are my refuge in the storm. 
So even when David was in a cave, homeless, even when David was being manhunted by 3,000 Navy SEALs, even when the timing wasn't quite right yet, God was his refuge. So he was able to trust God's plan in God's time. I think there's another key into what empowered David to trust God's plan in God's time, and it comes from verse 5 of Psalm 57. Look at it with me. David prays. He says, Be exalted, O God. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now remember, God's plans were for David to be exalted, right? For David to become the king. But David here is praying for who to be exalted? For God to be exalted. God's plans were to elevate David, but right here, David's praying, no, I want you elevated, God. I want you exalted. I want you to be the one who is praised. I think what David has going on here is David wants God more than he wants God's plan. He wanted God's plan. He knew God's plan was good for him and that there was a good way to wait for that plan. And he's going, while I'm waiting, God, I want you right now, even before I ever get your plans. I want you more than I want your plans. Now think about this. In our lives, when all I want from God are his plans, then I am always waiting for things to change, for things to get fixed, for things to get better. I'm wanting God to change something now and do it in my time. And I eventually become that grumpy boyfriend waiting in the car, waiting for the girlfriend to get her makeup done. I become the dad waiting outside in the car, honking the horn, saying, hurry up so we can go love Jesus, right? Because I want God to fix my stuff. My hope is actually in the stuff. My hope is actually in the plans. And so until I get them, I am mad or sad or bad because I'm wanting God's plans more than I actually want God. Now let's flip that. When I want and I desire God more than his plans, and it's okay to say, God, your plans for me are good and I want them, but when my desire for God is even greater than God's plans, then I can rest. I can have peace even when those plans don't play out when I want them to. Because even when God hasn't delivered on the timing of his plans, God always delivers on his presence. He is always with me. He never leaves me. He never runs. He's with me in that cave. He's with me in those storms. He's with me in that time of temptation. He is always with me. Are you tracking with me? So even when he doesn't deliver on the timing, if I'm trusting God and looking for God more than God's plans, then I'm able to wait for God's plan in God's time. For example, many of you have heard the story, um, Eric's story, right? And if you haven't heard it, let me just patch you in. An incredible story. When Eric was in college more than a decade ago, God told him very clearly, wasn't that a long time ago? I mean, seriously, he's so old, bro. Gosh. Anyways, more than a decade ago, God clearly told him that he was going to plant a church in Council Bluffs. And so from that moment on, God's plan was very clear in Eric's heart. So he meets a girl and they get married, but no church plant yet. They move to Nebraska City while Sarah finishes her master's degree. No church plant yet. They move to, uh, to Council Bluffs and Eric gets a job in Omaha. No church plant yet. Eric works hard, climbs the ranks. He becomes a VP of this company. No church plant yet. 
They eventually have four kids and they're in a tiny house. No church plant yet. It was 11 years between the time when God told Eric he was going to plant a church and the time that Eric actually planted the church. 11 years of waiting on God's time. 11 years of knowing what God's plans were, but not knowing when those plans would play out. Now, Eric would never say this, but I will. Through that time, what sustained Eric was that he wanted God even more than he wanted God's plans. Was he praying for God's plans? Yes. But did he want God more than God's plans? Yes. Now, he's, a, he's not Jesus, right? He struggled. He had doubts, these ups and downs. But what sustained him through those doubts and the delays in timing was God was his refuge, someone he could run to and unload on and trust in even when God's plan had to wait. Therefore, he was able to trust God's plan in God's time. Another example, think about this. Um, I have a really awesome 11-year-old son. He's the oldest. He's responsible. He's great. He's running projection right now because someone else didn't show up. He's awesome. Praise the Lord for my son. Now, let's say my 11-year-old son comes to me this week and he says, Dad, can I take your car for a ride? Right? I just want to go driving around town, Dad. Now, my plan is for him to drive that car one day, Right? Like, I want him to drive that car. I don't want to have to take him to all his practices and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I'm like, son, you can drive that car, okay, in the right time. That's my plans for him. He likes those plans. He wants those plans. But let's say I did give him the keys this week, and he took the car for a ride. How would that go? Okay, yeah, exactly. Not so good, right? He's awesome. He's responsible. But that's not the right time for him to take that car. Okay, let's take it a step further. My car sits in our garage every single night. And Cademan knows where the keys to my car are, and he knows where the garage door opener is. At any moment, he could go get my keys and the garage door opener and take that thing for a joyride, okay? And in his mind, I'm sure he's just thinking about, oh, that's going to be so fun to drive around, you know, let Lecrae thump in the factory speakers, let my curly afro blow in the wind, all that sort of stuff. But church, would that be a joy ride? No, it wouldn't be. He'd knock over our garage and wind up in a ditch. That's what would happen. And so it is when we try to take God's plan and force our time on them, it usually doesn't go so well, right? Listen, as a parent, I have big plans for my son, huge dreams for what he's going to do. And that includes him getting a driver's license and driving. But those plans have to play out in the right time. And so it is with God our Father. He has plans for you, plans for your welfare, not for evil, plans for your future and for your hope, but those plans play out in his time. David got this. David, in that moment, he got it, so he didn't take the keys and go for a joyride. David was able to refrain to wait. And I think in this moment, in this story, David is a picture of Christ for us. David is giving us hints of what Jesus will be like. We've said it every single week in this series. David's life gets its full meaning when it points us forward to Jesus. So think about this. Like David, Jesus was promised a kingdom. And he would reign and rule with absolute power and control in this kingdom. And God's plan for Jesus was to make him the king, not just of Israel, but the king of the whole world. And like David, 
Jesus had a ragtag group of followers, a bunch of social misfits following him around. And like David, Jesus and his dudes were hiding out one time when a group of soldiers came looking for him. But they were in a garden, not in a cave. The story is found in John chapter 18. Jesus and his dudes are hiding in the garden, and Judas, one of Jesus' followers, and a bunch of religious leaders and a bunch of soldiers come looking for Jesus. They show up where Jesus and his guys are, and the soldiers ask, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus simply answers, I am he. And when Jesus says that, the army flattens. They fall over just at the power of Jesus's voice. So Jesus clearly has power. God's plan for Jesus isn't just that he would be Jesus of Nazareth, but he would be Jesus over the whole earth. And it's so obvious that Jesus just merely has to speak and armies flatten. So when that happens, one of his misfits, one of his crazy dudes, Peter, goes, now's the time. Peter like pulls out his sword and just starts swinging like crazy. Jesus, seize the day. Strike while the iron is hot. This is God's plan. It must be God's time for you. And in the midst of the swinging and going crazy, Peter cuts off the ear of one of those soldiers. So you're like, do you remember what Jesus did? This is amazing. Jesus picked up the piece that was cut off and he put it back on the man's ear, like on the man's head. He healed that man. Let that man go free. And then Jesus turned around with his hands behind his back and got arrested, judged, mocked, scorned, and eventually killed. Jesus turned himself in. So God's plan is for Jesus to be king. That has never changed. But Jesus understood that God's plan is in God's time, and it wasn't his role to play to try to force the Father's timing into his preferred moment. Therefore, Jesus went to the cross for all the times that you and I couldn't wait for God's plan in God's time. He paid the price for all the times that we didn't find our shelter in him, but instead we found our shelter in sin or selfishness. He paid the price for all the times that we wanted stuff and we wanted plans more than we wanted God. He paid the price for all the times that we gave in to that temptation. Jesus didn't take God's plans and bring them into his hands so that you and I can always put our plans into God's hands, so that you and I can always trust God's plans in God's time. Which that, that's cool, right? Jesus trusted God's plan in God's time. David trusted God's plan in God's time. What does that mean for us? Like where do we go? What does this shape? How does this um, help inform Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week? Let me close with a couple verses from a minor prophet in the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter two. The word should be on the screen. It reads like this. God says, write the vision Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So God's got a plan. For still the vision, the plan awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Listen, City Light, God has plans for you. 
And right now, you may feel like me sitting in the car waiting for my girlfriend to get her makeup done so we can go on a date. You may feel like Eric, who received the revelation of God's plan 11 years before he received the timing of God's plan. You may have been waiting for God's plans for years, praying for God's plans for years, but it still waits its appointed time. Now, here's where Jesus matters, okay? This is, this is where Jesus steps into the situation. Tomorrow morning, okay? Tomorrow morning, God's plans and God's times might just intersect, right? Like you walk into class and you see that Casanova you're supposed to marry, you know? He's looking good, got his Bible open, got some verses memorized, knows how to keep a job, knows how to treat a woman. And you're like, God's plans, God's time intersected, right? Okay? Or tomorrow you may get that job or find out you're pregnant or get healed, or get that thing that you've been waiting for years for. And if so, that's great. That's incredible. But even if it doesn't happen, what is better is the rock-solid, take-it-to-the-bank truth, that even if it doesn't happen tomorrow, even if God's time isn't this year, even if God's time isn't this side of eternity, we still have full access to the God of those plans right here, right now. We always get Jesus, even if the plans, the times of God don't come till later. And Jesus is better than getting what we want when we want it. Amen, church? So even if God's timing is years away or it's not even this side of eternity, you can always rest, always have peace that because Jesus paid the price, you can have him right now in this moment. So City Light, can I encourage you? Wait on the Lord. Don't rush it. Don't force your time. Wait for him and find him satisfying in the meantime to satisfy your soul and take care of your heart. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father God, I pray that you would be doing a work in us, in each of us in this room, because I know there's people in this room with real longings, real desires, actual plans for their lives. I know there's people who had plans, and then those plans got botched. They got messed up. It didn't go how they wanted it to go. There's other folks in this room who have plans, but they haven't played out yet, and they're wondering, How's that going to work? Will it work? Will God ever do this? Will God ever show up? So Father, right now I pray that you would be speaking to our souls. You'd open up the ears of our hearts to hear your voice because we need to hear from you. I pray right now that you would give us a fresh revelation and a fresh love for Jesus Christ and we could find him satisfying while we wait. So much so that when we have the opportunity to seize it in our time, we trust it to you. This is the Lord's anointed. God forbid that I should strike him. Father God, would you minister to each of us? I pray for our church, for different city groups in our church as they're dreaming of big things and some of those things have happened, some of those things haven't happened. Would you give us faith to trust you in this time? to look to Jesus as both our example and the one who gives us power, to trust your plans in your times. Would you make it real for us this week? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.